You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. Today we have Lieutenant Jim Lee in the studio with us to talk about roof rope rescues. Welcome, Jim. Good morning. FDNY Pro featured your story in a film a little while back where you could see pretty dramatic video of the actual rescue you were involved in. They also covered one or two other well-known rope rescues in the FDNY. You can find this on FDNY Pro. You were the roof firefighter, you did your job, but I appreciate you coming down today to break down your experience one more time for us. It's important because people like to hear these stories, especially our younger members, getting the roof for the first time. You know, there's a lot to learn from this experience, so we appreciate you coming down. Absolutely, my pleasure. Will you just start off with a quick bio, where you worked? Yeah, sure. I came on in uh, 2003. I started a 45 engine in the Bronx, transferred to 147 truck in Brooklyn, and then I went to Rescue One, and now I'm a lieutenant covering up in the 7th Division in the Bronx. Let's talk about this fire from responding from across town to the Upper East Side of Manhattan for an obvious serious fire. What did you get coming across, and what did you know prior to arrival? Yeah, sure. We were actually just backing into quarters from another run, and we were listening to the dispatcher. He was, he was calling the chief, actually, I think the 10th Battalion Chief, to see if they could free up some companies because it sounded like they had a fire going. So uh, we were listening up, but we didn't even get all the way into quarters. What time of day was this? This was about 3.30 in the morning, somewhere around there. So they put us on the box before uh, you know, they transmitted the 1075 just due to the amount of calls. And we made it up there pretty fast. On the way up, we were listening, you know, uh, 1075, they fire on the first floor. And as we got closer, you could hear them saying they'd fire in the basement as well. And coming across Central Park, you could smell it. You, you, know, you knew we were going to do a, a good job. Uh, we pulled up, and you had a lot of smoke with brands coming out of it, which is indicative of a shaft fire. So it instantly started going through my mind. We were going to be working. And as we got up to the building, uh, chief just put us to work right away. So I took exposure four up to the roof. And when I got up there, you had fire out of the shaft, probably 20, 30 feet above the shaft line. Uh, the bulkhead of exposure two was on fire and the roof was on fire and exposure two. So instantly you knew it was going to be a, a labor intensive fire. Yeah. How about uh, when you pulled up, was it obvious which building was a fire building? Yes, it was, it was obvious. There was fire out the front windows Otherwise, okay. on the first floor only, though. So we weren't aware how intense the fire was all the way. It ended up being on every floor. Yeah. So when I got to the roof, I notified the chief that he had heavy fire in the shaft. You got fire all the way above the roof line in the shaft. Heavy fire. Ten floor rescue roof. And then I went to the three four corner in the back and i peered over there was a fence like a three to four foot fence you know so you don't fall off the back of the building there's no parapet on the back there was no parapet on no. the back. Mm -mm. and i looked down i shined my light in all the windows all the way down to the third floor just seeing because there was no rear fire escape and we know that no rear fire escape usually indicates railroad flat and you know people can get cut off if they're stuck in the back there yeah especially when you have a shaft fire like this one so I looked down, I didn't see anything. There was no one there, I didn't hear anything. So that's when I went back to the roof and I started to help ladder 13 and ladder 43 and ladder 26 was up there too. I uh, remember getting the bulkhead open and the heat that came out of there was like nothing I've ever experienced. Mm. It just like blew me backwards. It yeah. was so hot. And I started to do another survey and that's when I got a call from my chauffeur 
and he told me that there was a guy at the top floor window. So at the same time, a member of Ladder 26 came up to me and said the same thing. He just spotted a guy. So I went back to the same spot I started in just because I knew it was a good vantage point. And immediately I just saw the top of a head and then I could hear him yelling, help, help. I'm burning, I'm burning. So I went back across the building to about where I thought we would be lined up with him, yeah. grabbed the rope, dumped it. And at this point now, a few members started coming to where I was. We were towards the back of the building. Andy Hawkins, who was the chauffeur from Ladder 43, Joe Moore, who was a roof firefighter from 13 Truck, and uh, Steve Janicki, who was from 43 Truck as well. He had the roof. And I just dumped the rope, and I held up the hooks, both ends, and I just said, what are we going to tie to, guys? Because there was a few options. We had a chimney that was right there. It was yeah. pretty low, though, so I wasn't quite sure if they, you know, we were going to be comfortable with it. But the other option would have been the bulkhead, but like I told you earlier, fire. the fire and the heat coming out of the bulkhead was a no-go because of the, you know, the rope would melt. We could have used the aerial. Aerial was up, yeah. but we decided to go with the, the chimney, and Andy Hawkins said, I got this. You go to the edge. So he was the lowering member. He was the lowering member. Yeah, so I went to the edge, and I was communicating with my chauffeur again, just back and forth and telling him we're setting everything up. And your chauffeur at this point, what's his location? He's, He's in, in the, the backyard. Okay. And yeah. he was able to spot the... He, he saw him, and he was talking to him to keep him calm. And in the meantime, as we started to set up, I called the chief. I told him what we were doing. Yeah, you gave an urgent, right? I gave an urgent, but just a basic, simple, got a guy at the top floor in the rear, we're setting up a lifesaving rope. Enough information to... That's enough to know what's going to, on. To know what's going on, and at the same time, alerting other members that, hey, you know, we, need, we might need to get up yeah. there and help. So at this point, Andy was setting up the uh, tie-off point around the chimney, and I encountered that fence I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. That seems like a yeah, not an ideal thing to encounter at the rear well, in this situation. Yeah, definitely an oddball. A lot of times there's nothing on the back. You know, you just yeah. go straight over. So, But in this case, it was a metal fence, maybe, like I said, three to four feet tall. It had a vertical spindles in it, and it had a gap underneath, maybe like a four-inch gap. So I, I untied the ball on the bite just because that's the way I always trained because we had the personal harnesses. So I untied it, and I slid it underneath the fence, and then I was able, because of the vertical spindles, to bring the hook up and back over the top where and I clipped you were able it. To clip in on the safety side. On safe the safe side, side of, the, of the roof. How but much of the roof was there beyond the fence? It's about eight inches. Eight so inches. my full foot were, didn't fit in. Yeah, uh, and on there it. were gutters and wires. There was gutters and cable wires and all it's kinds of extremely stuff. Extremely hazardous. Yes. Inside, in the middle of the night. Yeah. So I watched Andy take his turns. We got all the slack out of the rope. Then I went over. And like I said, half of my feet fit on, on this uh, piece of roof. So I went down onto my knees. It, right? it no, like <laughs> no, who knows? You know, onto that fence. rotten building, 100 years old. Yeah, yeah. So I went down onto my knees and I held on to the vertical spindles. And Joe Moore from 13 Truck, the roof uh, firefighter from there, the guide, guide firefighter. He's going to act as the guide firefighter. So he, I said to him, let's get the rest of the slack out now because I just took about you're, three to you're four. You're on the edge of the right. roof. Now I'm on the yeah. edge on my knees. And the next thing I notice is the uh, anti-chafing device is a few feet away. So I asked Joe to slide that to me. I got that set and we were ready to go. I looked at him. I said to him, is he ready? You know, back and mm -hmm. forth communication, everyone was ready. And the heat and the smoke coming up, 
other side of this building was unbelievable to the point where... Did you notice it as you were on the roof and it wasn't until you... It was, to, was when I was on the other side. I mean, you could right. see the smoke, but I didn't realize the impact it was going to have on the operation. But the, the last thing Joe asked me before... I said, are you ready? He's like, do you want your mask? Because it was so, it was so hot. Yeah. Uh, but I said, let's go. Because now this guy was, mm -hmm. he was really screaming, you know, and yeah, we knew yeah, he was yeah. in peril. In a matter of time. We had to go. So off the edge, we go. Nice and easy. As soon as I got over, got crushed with the heat and the smoke. We ended up being over the window. Did you end up where you wanted to be? Were you directly no. over? Yeah. No, we, we was directly over the window, which of course, yeah. when we train, that's the one thing they try to tell you to avoid. But this was, you couldn't see. Yeah. So I thought we were close. And this is where my chauffeur, Frank, came in pretty handy. He saw right away that it was, I was sort of dancing around. He told me on the radio, Jimmy, Lee, go to your right, Jimmy, go to your right. Jimmy, get to the right, get so to the right. How did you do it? Get to the right. Just I just little, used my feet, yeah. kicked off the building, and sort of popped over. And then I was in between. He's on the top floor of the victim, correct? He was on the top floor. He has a five-story building. That's almost like uh, the best-case scenario in this situation with so much going on because, you know, when you had a difficult pickup, which we're going to get to, you're able to communicate and you got the guide person right there. Yeah. So, yeah. So as soon as I got in between the windows, it was night and day difference. So I, I was focused on him now. I got down to his window. And at this point now, you couldn't see up to the roof anymore because of the smoke and everything. But I could hear, I could hear the guy tell him, stop, stop. You know, he could still yeah. sort of see me. And Frank on the ground was just giving transmissions on the radio to communicate to with assist. Stop, stop, stop. So it was very helpful. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. In a lot of cases, you might not have that. Right, before. exactly. We drill, that's it's kind of a verbal communication. Mm -hmm. But the, the reality is there might be somebody in a better position to assist, which seems to be the case here. Yeah, absolutely. So... When I got to his window, the conditions in his apartment were unbelievable. The fire was rolling over his head. The ceiling had come down on top of him. Now, I didn't know that at this point, but at one point, Frank told me afterwards that he was speaking to him, you know, telling him, you know, stay, stay calm, they're coming. He disappeared from the window. Well, the ceiling came down on him. This guy was 81 years old. And he got he got back up the heavy plaster ceiling off him, popped his head back at the window. The top floor ceiling? Yeah. Heavy plaster. So heavy, heavy plaster. But when I got to him, he had his eyes level with the windowsill, and he was just looking at me. And I said, you know, are you ready to go? And he said, yes. I said, I said, come on. He couldn't really get himself up. Yeah. So I ended up putting my hands under his arms, and I literally yanked him out of the window so hard that when I got him out, we flipped around backwards. Yeah, he's so now, like, now your back's to the building. My back's to the building, right? But so you this, have him. I have him. I was holding him like straight up and down vertical. He was, his body was in line with mine. And what I ended up doing was putting my knee, you know, right under his, uh, like top of his legs. And I just kicked, pushed up as hard as I could. And I was able to cradle him like a baby. Yeah. And that's how I ended up taking him down. And we went down backwards the whole way, you know, cause again, we train, right? We're sure, yeah, on the, right. we feet on the building, nice and controlled. <laughs> it was none of that. It was none of that. It was insane. And, uh, I do remember it's so the one thing I vividly remember when I picked him up and I had him. I just remember playing, please don't let me drop him. I, I remember thinking that in my head over and over. Yeah. You know? he, he was calm. He was great. He was like, All right, I'll do whatever you want. He didn't fight me. He wasn't scared. He was just, I think, glad to be out of that environment. Was the guide person given the, the command to go down? Were you still verbally communicating or was it no, a No, at this point it was over. Now, Frank, yeah. uh, if, you hear, if you listen to the audio, you can hear him saying, down, 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 down. You know, he's telling me, and he was communicating to me, telling me what floor I was on. At one point, there was an air conditioner under me, which I couldn't see. And he was saying, there's an air. So Take I moved a little, over off, a little bit yeah. and avoided it. Okay, lower nice and easy, guys. Nice and easy. Lower him down. Thank you, Lower him down, guys. Come on down. 
Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. You got three fours to go. Hey, right, good. We're down. Down. Hope the rescue is down. Jimmy's good. Once we hit the ground, I walked about 20 feet away just because there was embers coming down and everything. I wanted to get him as far away as I could. Put him down, turned around, and the window we just came out of was fully involved with fire. So, yeah. I mean, he, he literally had seconds, and uh, it, it worked out pretty well. And then not too long after, you saw the rope was on fire, and it went, you know, down to the ground. <laughs> so uh, I think we were, we were pretty lucky in that case. Yeah. yeah, I'll say. I think he was lucky as well. Having that member in the rear, based on having that, that fence creating those difficulties, I'm sure it was... Uh, Key. Key in uh, spotting the victim and, key in and also the victim. key in uh, the lower operation. Absolutely, because, again, the guide firefighter on the roof, normally you might lean over the roof to get a better look on it off the edge, but he couldn't do that because of that. It was very hard to look over just standing at the fence, and especially with all the smoke and the heat. I mean, it probably would have been easier for someone to go over to the, like where I said I originally spotted him from that side, two, three, because you got a clear, yeah, clear yeah. angle view, but... You know, you're not thinking about that. No, no, you're looking you're, over the you're rear. You're looking over at, at your we'll guy. We'll talk about that upon arrival, a roof firefighter's duty at that type of building. And let's just talk about a front fire escape only tenement. We talked about earlier, in that, in that neighborhood, you'd expect a front and rear, generally. Yeah, sure. That's more common than a front only, and why that's a dangerous exception for us. Yeah, oh, I, I remember someone at some point when I was making my way up saying there's no rear fire escape. And it was an instant thing, right, from probie school. They talk about that no rear fire escape and the chance of someone being that's trapped roof at rescue. Because the majority, let's just explain to our audience, the majority of the buildings have it on the rear. So if they were in the front... Yeah, you can get them with the ladder or whatever, you know, aerial bucket, whatever whatever you're using. But, but it doesn't exist when, uh, when there's no rear fire escape. Right. And, and in this case, the fire had started in the first floor apartment and the tenants left the window open there. And it went right up the shaft. So there was fire in every apartment all the way to the top floor. He told me he got out of his bed and he tried to make it to the front fire escape. And he couldn't because the fire had already come in his windows. Yeah. So now he was purely cut off in the back. He went to his door to the hallway and he opened the door and he said the blast of heat that came in there was unbelievable. Because not only was the window open to the shaft, but when the tenants left, the door uh, got jammed open. So you'd fire up the stairwell and up the shaft now. So this is like the ultimate scenario for no rear fire escape. And you knew also, based on the transmissions, that the, I don't know if the lines, were they past the second floor at this point? No, they weren't. They were talking about trying to get to the second floor, but they had so much fire on the first floor that they couldn't get it. As a matter of fact, the inside team from Rescue One went up the fire escape to the second floor and then started making their way in that way and just they kept going up looking in the hallway because they just couldn't get in to the hallway well, let's talk a little bit about building construction also while we're on the topic and and shaft fires talk about what shafts are in tenement buildings you know why we have them open and closed and what type of problems we could expect when we have an advanced fire in a shaft like this one yeah absolutely so an open shaft is something you just see in the back you could walk into it you know, no problem. In it's for out. air and light. For air and light, right. And that's the same thing they are in the middle of the buildings, air and light. But the ones in the middle of the building that are closed are more dangerous, in my opinion, because the fire gets in there. And it's, it's, like, it's like a chimney effect. Yeah, smaller 
smaller shaft. They're much smaller than an open shaft. And but when the fire gets in there, it exposes two buildings, you know, versus one, and it burns up pretty fast. It also depends what kind of materials in the shaft, shingles or you know whatever you might have in there. Plus, uh, how many shafts in this city anyway have rubbish in the bottom of them? Mm-hmm. Um, you it's know, from people throwing stuff out. A lot of a lot of stuff that can that can catch on fire. But the problem is that it goes into each apartment, and now you have two buildings involved instead of one. And again, no rear fire escape. Fire's in there. It cuts you off from the front fire escape. I think if the door would have been closed downstairs, he probably he might have been able to make it out the interior stairs, maybe. But, but again, the, the shaft fires are very dangerous, and they, they add to the workload for sure at a fire. And you can't get enough lines that are right. one of those. So when there are two buildings involved at a rapidly advancing shaft fire. Yeah, so. at this fire in particular, the fire dropped down in the shaft to the basement cellar and all the way up to the fifth floor. So he'd fire on every floor. So you and, you and the exposure. Right. So you literally, and the exposure. So you would have needed, you know, like 10 engine companies stretching lines. And it, it was it was overwhelming, I'm sure, for the chief, but it was overwhelming for everybody. When you ended up in the rear courtyard with the victim, were you able to get out with no problems? Yeah, what happened was there was a, a wooden fence. And uh, one of the members, uh, I think from squad, was out there. So they ended up breaking a hole through the fence so we could get him out. Like, we were, we were sort of stuck in the backyard. The only option would have been to go back through the fire building on the right, first floor, right. which we weren't going to do. Any proximity to a building on fire like that is uh, extremely dangerous. Air yeah. conditioners and glass, especially for a victim. They, yeah, they chopped a hole through the fence, and we ended up carrying him through into the next backyard. And we were able to carry him through the exposure building on the first floor. No problem to the street where we let him go to EMS. Having this experience, you know, if you had to do it again, is there anything that you have in your head? You're like, oh, I'd do this differently this time. I really don't think so. Yeah. Because like I said, when I first got up there, I looked, I didn't see anybody. You know, that was my main concern with no rear fire escape, just to see if anyone was there. And it happened so fast, but I don't, I don't think so. The substantial object worked out. I mean, everything, I, I did an interview earlier and I said this was a flawless operation and it really was. It was seamless is the word I used because we'd never worked together, m- most of these guys. You know, the only guy I knew was Joe Moore from the, uh, we're in the pipe band together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never worked with them as a firefighter. And these guys are so well-trained, and it just was a great operation. So I don't really think I would change anything. Maybe the only thing would be trying to get in between the windows instead right. and uh, not get cooked yeah. <laughs> as yeah. I went over. But that, that's really it. Like the way the pickup went, there was, there was, no, there was no other option. I know uh, we, we can talk about how we train to pick up somebody and we, we go over and we tell them, stay calm, I'm coming. <laughs> you, you know, you tell your guide firefighter, stop and you get their attention. There was none of that going on in this fire. This guy was in absolute peril and we got to him and he wasn't waiting. So another thing, you know, uh, the person's waiting for you on the ledge and they put their arms around your neck and they wrap their legs around your waist. Yeah, none of that happened. This was a totally oddball, crazy scenario. And, and luckily the way we train in the firehouse you know, you, you do go over all these different kinds of scenarios. And so I think that all that training over all the years that I've been on the job prepared me for this. Yeah, well, we start in probing school with this evolution, and uh, it's the least frequently used, uh, right, but most drilled on operation I think we, we focus on. A hundred percent. It's the it's the one drill that we do from the first day of probing school till your last day on the job. Yeah. Right? You're in the firehouse. maintain that proficiency. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, yes, absolutely. How about now Now you're an officer? And I go, it must be great to be an officer and give a roof drill. Yeah. Having had a rope rescue, it gives you a little bit of clout. Uh, I would like to have had that as a yeah. young lieutenant. It would have been nice. <laughs> I do like to drill on it. Yeah. 
I find that the members are interested because they, they know that I, I went through it. So they, they sort of pick my brain about different techniques and scenarios and they want to hear the story and, and what things they can pick up to maybe help them if they go through it someday. But the, the number one point I make is no matter what you do, do it the same way every time. So when you get the rope out on Monday or Tuesday, or if you get the training rope and go over it on another night, every single time you set up the rope, set it up the same. Every single time you attach yourself to the rope, set it up the same. Whether you're you know, hooking straight into your harness or using the leg loops, whatever you're doing, do it the same every way. Because when it's three o'clock in the morning and it's on, you need to, you you need got to go through memory. this operation and your muscle memory. I did it the same way every single time. Since the day we got the personal harnesses and the job changed it where we could take the bowline on the bite out and clip directly into the harness, that's what I've done. And that's how we did it in 147. And I did it in Rescue One. And it worked out that night. I knew I knew how to untie the knot, no problem. I wasn't even looking at it. I was untying it just because I was looking over, trying to figure everything out. Boom, it's just muscle memory. And that's the one thing I emphasize to them. Do it the same way every time. And I, and I apply that to other things too. Yeah. You know, not just the roof rope, but all kinds of things in the fire service where you're going to be under a high stress situation, right? Low frequency, high stress. And this is high stress. I can tell you, when I saw his head, I got like a knot in my stomach, like, oh my gosh, here we go. You know, this is the thing we've been training for for so long. So that's, that's my emphasis. And I, and I do like to talk about the different scenarios, different kinds of substantial objects. How are we going to tie up? Uh, you know, who's going to go over? Stuff like that. And um, I, do enjoy, I do enjoy drilling in the yeah. firehouse period, but I certainly enjoy drilling on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should. And, uh, we have a lot of new members since 2016 and uh, may have a lot of questions they want to know. But the truth is, everybody wants to know. That's why I'm glad you agreed to come down and speak about it a little bit, because people want to have some context in the head. They want to know how it happened. So if they have a face with that, they could, uh, you know, use it. You still keep in touch with the uh, last I heard. Yeah, he just passed away in um, March or April. But we, we did keep in touch. We would see him on holidays, and uh, my kids knew him really well. We would go down and see him. He, he ended up living in Harlem. And we, yeah, we visited often and kept in touch. So uh, we were sad. We were sad that he, he passed, but um, he got a few extra years. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that my kids got to meet him. And uh, he, he was like a family member afterwards, really. It was, yeah. it was a pretty cool relationship yeah. we had. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jim, thanks for coming down today. Anybody who wants to catch the film, it's at fdnypro.org, and it's uh, really well done. And uh, thanks for coming down. We appreciate you sharing your knowledge and sharing this story one more time. <laughs> Even though I had to talk you into it, but there's a lot to learn, so we, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. For more training and information from our subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them.
Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to FDNYFoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.